just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. Welcome back to the Rational Boomer Podcast. I hope all is all of you are having a great day, and uh, we have a good show coming up here. We have a, uh, a listener guest, and that listener guest is Jenna. How are you doing, Jenna? I'm great, Mike. Thanks for having me. Now, we should say I, I've had occasion to talk to Jenna before on the phone. This was earlier on, and uh, it was uh, great to meet her then, but now it's it's even better to have an opportunity to have her on the podcast and uh, uh, get some insights from yet another listener. And I tell you what, Jenna, I'm, I don't want to put any pressure on you, but every other listener that's come on, people have said, oh, that's not going to work well. It's worked beautifully. And I sense it's going to be the same with you. Uh, we're going to crush it. <laughs> there you go. That's the attitude. Now, now, Jenna, what part of the country are you from? You don't have to tell us the state. Well, I'm from the Southeast, and I, I am happy to share that I uh, moved to Georgia recently, and I can't wait to vote in um, you know, the midterms mm. this time. I'm really excited about that. There you go. Yeah, we, 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 we imported another liberal to Georgia. <laughs> how, how, how are you liking Georgia? I mean, I, I've been to Georgia a number of times. I love Georgia. I love Atlanta. I love, uh, uh, I love Savannah. I love Tybee Island. I love all those areas. And so uh, how have you acclimated to Georgia being somebody that happens to be a liberal? Uh, you know, the part of town that I live in and the areas of town that I frequent, it's really exciting to see Stacey Abrams signs in the yards. It's really exciting to see Black Lives Matter. You know, it's just so much more out in the open where I choose to spend my time that right. it's really reassuring to be around people that are of like mind. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. That makes it a little more comfortable, a little more easy. And I, as I said, Georgia is a beautiful state. So uh, I'm glad you landed someplace that uh, you can enjoy and someplace that um, you look forward to going outdoors for. Um, now, what you wanted to talk about, I think, is a very timely issue, and it's about it's about being in a situation you're in and happening happening to be a woman. Uh, there's a lot of things going on that I see that are maybe working against women, and that kind of saddened me. That seems like a step backwards. So, so how are you feeling right now, Jenna? <sighs> uh, you know, it's really overwhelming to be a woman right now in today's America. Um, and at the same time, I'm excited to see what's going to happen when we all unite and fight for our rights, our own human rights in today's America and for the future. Well, I think everybody's human rights at this point are in danger, given the circumstances, given what's going on in the government, but particularly uh, women, you know, with the, with the overturning Roe v. Wade, there's a lot of women that are upset about it that aren't in a position where they'll ever need to get uh, an abortion. They might be older, they might be in a different circumstances, but it's, it's got to kind of hit home because it, it's what I've said before, 
these are people coming for your constitutional right. And whether you are going to use that right or not, it's got to make you angry. So I need to kind of explain where I'm coming from. And I don't know if I told you this before, Mike, in our previous conversation, but my education is actually, I am an art historian. I have a bachelor's and a master's degree in art history, and I am obsessed with ancient art. And if you uh, study art history, so let's, you really do start with Neolithic, you know, that era, like think Stonehenge and just prehistory, then what you're finding are goddess figurines. So, um, you know, humanity, it seems, at least according to art history, is goddess worshiping because, you know, this is where the, the mother, this is where, you know, life is coming from. Right. So the transition to the patriarchy, this, I feel like we're at the pinnacle of the patriarchy right now. So it's knowing that from my art historical education, knowing that women were revered as the life-giving source of everything to now, oh, your womb is dictated. The activities of your womb are being dictated by the government is chilling. Right. It it absolutely is. And the nice contrast here is you you seem to be a very educated woman. I have almost a year in a public university and I majored mostly in beer and partying. (laughs) So, so we're maybe not on the same level educationally, but I'll do my best here. You're killing it, Mike. All right. Thank you. Um, no, that's a, you know, you're, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, in my life, um, women take a higher, higher pedestal, like with my wife, there's two reasons for it. Cause I believe that. And, uh, my wife demands that. So it's just the way it is, but to see what's going on right now in this country, not only with women, but, uh, people of color, anything you're looking at, um, it seems like the white men of this country and being a white man, an old white man in this country, I think I can speak for them. They're seeing their power slip away. The day of the old white man is fading away because those old white men are dying. We're getting younger people now. We're getting people of color. Women are uh, uh, finding positions that they should have found 50 years ago, but the old white man stopped that. Uh, I just feel like they're desperate now. They're grasping and they're doing everything and they're playing the dirty tricks or cheating or lying or stealing because they are so desperate to hold on to that power. My question is how much money is enough? How much power is enough? Like when do you get reached the point that it's enough? I, I just can't understand that mindset. Do you, I know that you speak about your father being a narcissist. Is this a narcissistic mindset that is just something that is psychopathic? I just can't wrap my head around it. Well, I think that that's true. There is, uh, I think these people, uh, there is never enough. And, and my guess, I'm not a psychologist with my almost a year of university, but the, these folks are very insecure Mm-hmm. So they have to constantly win, you know, like Donald Trump, you see it very clearly. He's got to win. Even if I said, Donald, you got to, I don't like the color of your tie. He'll take it to another level and get it into an attack because he just can't be second place. He has to be first. He has to be on top. And I think when it comes to money, it's the same thing. It it ends up not being how much money I need to take care of my family it's now more a scorecard and, and, and they, 
they continue to throw, demand money for themselves. You know, one thing I've told told some people, the one thing I learned about life when you're a young man, you're almost programmed to think, I want to be rich, I want to be famous, I want to have all those toys. And that's a lot of what strives or pushes a man, a young man, when they're going after their dreams. Now that I'm 62 and I'm sitting where I'm sitting, I'm not rich or famous. I'm working on the famous, but I'm not rich (laughs) or famous and I don't have all the toys. But in the position I'm in, I'm very comfortable. I'm content. I don't have a lot of stress. I don't worry about a lot of things. And while I don't have the money and the fame, this is a pretty good spot. And I think if I had been younger and I knew this or I could relate to it, life would have been a lot easier coming up. But there, there is never enough. They got to keep winning. It's to me, I just don't understand, you know, how putting your thumb on somebody and keeping somebody else down so that you can raise your status could ever make you feel good or accomplished at the end of the day. It just cannot make sense to me. Have you ever been on the under the thumb role in that situation? I've been engaged in capitalism since I was 16 years old. Right. right. (laughs) So, I mean, I've had good bosses. I've had not great bosses, but it's, you know, really I've worked for major corporations that, you know, in times of, whatever, like we can take COVID for an example that chose the company over the lively, not the livelihood, the health and well-being of the employer, the employment. Yeah. The um, employees, excuse me. Yeah. So, no, I, I, yeah. We talked about that and, and there mm-hmm. were a lot of companies that did that, but you know what, for as bad as COVID was and as tough as it was to get through, don't you think coming out on the other side that now it's kind of improved some things. It's made made more, you know, this this working from home and that sort of thing more more um, available. People are more willing to do that. I I, I, th- I think you have to look at the good that comes out of the bad. There's always some good that comes out of bad because out of bad comes change. And uh, I mean, your situation, you seem like you're in a better position now. Maybe not to where you want to be, but a better position than you were when we talked on the phone a while back. I definitely am. So for the listeners to understand what's going on is that I um, transitioned to a new role in a new industry. And so I'm learning the ropes right now. And it's, you know, a lot of mental kind of um, strain, I would say it's a lot of concentration mentally and absorbing a lot of information. And then (laughs) I think one day it'll just click and I'll be really good at what I'm doing. But right now I'm just learning and getting the ropes. Um, You know, the main thing that I want to say about it is that I believe in myself now and I have the skills of which to go ahead and try something new. And I think that that is something that definitely came out of the pandemic is a lot of people are in my position that they were doing something and then they knew that they wanted to change. And then now with the great resignation and now just things in the workforce are, re- are shifting just completely different that people like me felt confident enough to go try something new. Exactly. And, you know, and this is one lesson I learned a while ago and I, I try to teach it to other people. Um, when you're when you're dealing with kind of the pressures that you were dealing with 
it's it, it's more you doing it to yourself than everybody doing it to you. And once you can realize that and you realize that you have some control, it makes everything easier. And be able to look at what you accomplished and 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 relish in that and actually, you know, gain confidence from it. Now, you were changing not only jobs, but a new career right in the middle of COVID. And now here you sit talking to me and you're in a better place. It sounds like emotionally and where you live and, and whatever you do. So while that hasn't given you the full, uh, glorious, big win, you've made some great steps and you should be proud of that. And that should build your confidence. I sit there sometimes. And then when I realize the full weight of everything that I have done, that I made a goal and I have accomplished it, then I look back and I'm like, I did that thing. But also the way that I'm wired is I'm like, okay, well, what's the next big goal? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. A lot of people are wired just to worry about the future. And, and that sometimes isn't the best thing. But as long as you can grasp that what you did was big and valuable to you, that should give you more confidence going on to the next one. Now, I'm not suggesting that you should necessarily put that weight back on your shoulders and worry about it, but use that confidence to your advantage. And I think whether you're 40 years old or 62 years old like me or 70 years old, you always got to be chasing something to stay alive in your mind and your body and have another goal to shoot for. Uh, so there's nothing wrong being in the position you're in. You're, you're, you're doing a great job. Everything's working your way. It's turned out the way you want it. You can only possibly believe that it's going to end up perfectly like you expect. I have no doubt. Well, that's I've good. Always, <laughs> I've always ended up like, for example, finding a place to live. I always end up finding the right place to live. I ended up in an a place that is so great that I couldn't even imagine it happening and it manifested itself. So um, I always end up in the right place. And, you know, while the transition is happening before it actually comes into fruition, I'm like, Oh my God, ah! you know, I freak out. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, it always works out in the end. If I could only just trust that it will, that would make me probably have less gray hair. Well, you know, that, that, that trust thing is a big deal. And it's kind of a weird situation for my wife and I, I'm, I'm truly somebody who just doesn't give a shit. I don't worry <laughs> about anything. I don't have any stress. I don't have any problem sleeping, uh, but my wife is a little anxious and, and, and we'll be talking about something and I'll lay something out for her and she'll get upset and worried. And I said, I said, look, it'll be fine. It works out, always works out this way or that way. It'll be fine. You don't need to worry. And she always says to me, well, somebody needs to worry. <laughs> no, actually, nobody needs to worry. If we know this is going to be fine, we are wasting a lot of time and energy <laughs> and emotional wear on our bodies worrying for nothing. And I, I've said this to her, tried to illustrate it to her. She'll worry about something like a doctor's appointment or getting a car fixed. She'll worry about it for a couple of days and say, it'll be fine. And then she worries for a couple of days. And uh, then we get there and whatever happens, happens. And it's fine. And she's relieved. And I said, I'm glad you're relieved. But think about this. You spent two or three days agonizing over nothing. Doesn't that bother you? Well, then we fight about it for about a half hour. <laughs> How dare I say something like that? But in realistic terms, we do waste a lot of times worrying unnecessarily. When we spoke 
uh, last, then I remember you saying, expect the best. Yeah, exactly. Assume the best. My wife is one that always assumes the worst every damn time. And I said, I always assume the best. Well, it's not always going to be the best. Well, okay, I'll grant you that. But my life's a lot better up until that point. When it does go bad, I'll worry. And then I'll look ahead to something else that'll make me feel better. That's what we got to do to ourselves. We control it. So, fuck, why not look to the best as opposed to the worst? Is that how you are navigating this, you know, political environment that we're in right now? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's how I navigate life. You know, people will listen to what I'm doing on the on the uh, TikToks and the podcast, and they'll say, well, you made me feel better. And the way I made them feel better is giving them all the information as opposed to just the clickbait uh, headlines. You know, because those people want you to be happy, sad, mad, angry, whatever. They're trying to pull an emotion out of you because that'll keep you connected to whatever whatever service they have and, and keep you in line. Um, but but have you ever have you ever met somebody who will tell you a story that's a pretty innocuous story or maybe even a good story, but they'll immediately put a negative spin on it just to engage you or just to make you feel sorry for them. Uh, narcissists do that a lot. Um, but instead of looking at the whole picture and assuming the best, I think, I think how you feel and what you expect has a big, big bearing on what you're going to get. Uh, that definitely makes sense. Um, and I would love to be able to adopt that mentality because when I'm looking at the future <laughs> politically, um, just these midterms need to go a certain way. And I'm looking at, you know, Madison Cawthorn losing his seat as an omen, perhaps that things are going to go the way that they need to go. Um, Because we cannot keep living the way that we are right now. We just can't. No, we can't. And, 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 and to be honest with you, there's a lot of things going on right now that I see as omens, but anybody who sees an omen, sees an omen can make that omen mean whatever they want. Now, mm-hmm. like you, like for example, um, Donald Trump is endorsing all these people, and uh, when one of his endorsees doesn't win, people will cheer and say that's an omen, that's an omen. But it de- depends on how you look at it. I've said on the podcast before. I said I hope that every endorsee of Donald Trump's wins their primary. And people go, why? What do you, is that crazy? What? I said, well, it's just Republicans voting. And we want the absolute worst candidate to run against the Democrats. So if this is a crazy fuck, there are going to be people in the middle and even in the farther right that are say, you know, I'm a Republican, but I'm not for racism or misogyny. So. I try to look at all the facts tied to this midterms. And I know you're worried about the midterms and everybody will tell you, Oh my God, the midterms and history tells us the midterms are going to go to the Republicans. I did a podcast yesterday in a TikTok, and I said, the Democrats have to be in the best possible position for the midterms to win or sweep it than ever before in history. And somebody said, why is that? I said, well, we have, them trying to, we know they're trying to overturn Roe v. Wade. 70% of the country supports that. 
We have gun control. We have children dying in schools and they still do nothing. That's working against the Republicans. We have the January 6th committee coming up with the television hearings in a week or so. And those are going to blow the roof off the place. And Jamie Raskin basically said that what's going to come out in that is going to be compelling and people are going to be glued to that. Just one of those things should fuck up a midterm for a party. We've got three of those things. And uh, that's why I feel so confident about the midterms. But people will want to look at the bad. What happens if it doesn't work? I don't care if it doesn't work. I know it's going to work. I'm getting my popcorn ready for these uh, January 6th <laughs> hearings. That's going to be like something we have never seen ever. It, it, and, it, it absolutely you know, is. It really needs to convince these Trump pumpers, as you say, you know, to look at reality. It will, it will make some of them look at reality. I think, honestly, there's the 30% base that will never believe anything. They're either not bright enough or they're they're just so enthralled with the cult that they'll never change. The, the people I'm concerned about are the moderate people and maybe to the little farther right, the normal Republicans, if there are any left. We're also in a good position here going into this midterms that the Republican Party is essentially split. I mean, you think about these primaries, and somebody made a point to me. They said, how much is or the article I read said, how much is Donald Trump's endorsement worth? And it turns out it's about 30% because everybody that won endorsed by Donald Trump in the primaries won with 30 or 32% of, uh, of the votes, which isn't that great when you think people have gone away from Donald Trump endorsing this person and, and, and voted for somebody else. Another 60% went some other way. But if you look at the Democratic primaries, you got people winning um, winning by 40, 50, 60, 70%. Now, the only exception to that is, is uh, it's in Georgia, right? The governor. Um, he kicked the shit out of Purdue. <laughs> by you know 70 to 20 73 to 23%. He beat him by 50% in spite of the fact that Donald Trump endorsed him. Um that's pretty fucking amazing. Agreed. Uh before I forget, can we mention that Charles Booker in Kentucky is the first uh he's going against Rand Paul whose neighbors should have kicked his ass harder. Um <laughs> Uh, is the first black person in history to ever win a primary for Senate in the state of Kentucky. Wow. That is amazing. I uh, met him and he is the real deal. Um, he, when you speak to him, he cares about all Kentuckians. He's from, he said his whole campaign is from the hood to the holler. So I used to live in <laughs> Kentucky. So he's from like, you know, the, he's, he says he's from the hood, but he really connects with everybody and he really wants to work for all Kentuckians. And I think that this is going to be very exciting. It is going to be very exciting. You know, Kentucky seems like a weird situation. You know, you got Mitch McConnell from Kentucky, right? Nobody seems to like him in Kentucky, yet he still continues to win elections. That tells me one of two things. There's a lot of old white people sitting in those hollers that don't mm -hmm. come out and talk to anybody. Or there's some kind of uh, illicit things going on with the elections. I don't know which, 
But Mitch McConnell, just by virtue of being there forever, I don't see how he keeps winning when Kentucky is so low on the totem pole in just about everything. And, you know, the major metropolitan areas are all blue. Right. I have no idea how, how he even got elected in the last cycle. So um, Charles Booker actually was running against uh, Mitch McConnell, but they, whoever, the DNC in Kentucky put that McGrath lady on there that nobody wanted. Right. Nobody wanted her. So, I mean, and then also there was with the voting in Louisville Metro, there was an issue that people couldn't go to just to their regular polling places. They all had to go to the convention center and wait in line. And I mean, everybody, it was a Tuesday. Everybody had to work. Right. It was crazy. So I'm really excited to see this, this round, at least Charles Booker is out there and, you know, he won the primary, which is incredible. But, you know, one of the good things that have come out of Donald Trump in this whole era is a lot of the nefarious, uh, the back, backroom dealing, really unethical shit that's going on in our elections and in our government. I think this isn't new. This has always been happening. It's just like the racism. Donald Trump brought everything to the forefront, to the surface, and now we're seeing how the sausage is made. And as bad as that is to watch, it's probably good news. The more we know about the bad that's going on, the better chance we have to change that shit. When Donald Trump got elected, then I thought instantly about the the Indian goddess Kali. So she's the goddess of destruction. So, I mean, he is the manifestation of Kali. Really? In American politics, because, I mean, exactly what you said, it's all being brought to light so that it can be destroyed so a new can grow. They they do that in northern Minnesota sometimes. Sometimes they'll burn a forest just to regenerate new growth and build it back up. You know, a, a forest that may have burned partially or, or, or has some other kind of damage. And I, I kind of see this time as that. As bad as this is, I have a feeling it's going to come crashing down for the Republicans. Um, I think the midterms are a turning point for this whole Donald Trump era. This may be the end of the Donald Trump era, and we're seeing hints of it with his endorsees not winning in the primaries and, in fact, getting their ass kicked. The power that Donald Trump holds over the Republican Party is really the essence of why this party is doing the what the things they're doing now. It's a cult of uh, personality uh, for some, and some are just afraid of what would happen if they go against him. But when this midterm happens, and assuming the Democrats win across the board in a big way, Donald Trump will no longer be thought of as an asset. He will be a liability. And as much as they love this guy now, they'll just toss him in the fucking uh, on the curb and, and they won't pay attention to him anymore. And that'll change everything for the Republican Party. They're going to have to rehabilitate themselves. Well, the party is different than it used to be. When mm. I was growing up, I remember being a little kid in elementary school. I was born 76. Okay. So this was Reagan's second election. Right. Okay. And I just remember that we had like a kind of fake election in our school, in elementary school. And I remember my parents are, you know, are liberal, they're Democrats, you know, um, 
but we didn't talk about politics and, at home. There was no real reason to then. And I knew then that I didn't want Reagan to win. And I, so from my birth, I guess that I just knew something was insidious about Republicans. And I'm not saying that every one of them is, but it looks like the party is people who want to protect their money. Mm-hmm. Um, and now there's the evangelicals that clung onto this for some reason, I guess, because the churches are tax free and you can launder money through the churches right. um, and use religion to what the opiate of the masses to control people, like what they're trying to do with Roe. And then um, now there's the new faction, which is the GQP. Right. And, they just I mean, believe crazy shit. Like full on crazy, but they cling on to all these things that, you know, you could say that the evangelicals are kind of crazy. So they oh, cling on they're to these definitely things. fucking crazy. Yeah. So I, I just think extremism in any form is not a good thing for anybody. But, you know, there's supposed to be separation of church and state. And that's something that you and I have discussed before that I, um, my TikTok handle um, is Jewish forever, but I identify yeah. as a Jewish, like I'm a hybrid of a Jewish witch. And so, um, you know, in Judaism, this is circling back to Roe, it's actually anti-Semitic <laughs> to outlaw abortion because in Judaism, the life of the mother is paramount. And um, the fetus isn't considered its own entity until it breathes on its own. So for to overturn Roe is highly anti-Semitic. So it's just the the whole, you know, using hiding behind religion to do your nefarious bidding is just sickening. And to see it just this is their last grasp to hang on power. (laughs) Absolutely. saw an insurrection before our very eyes. Right. And they tried to say it was Antifa and Black Lives Matter, like the gaslighting, the this, the that, but just to hide behind religion is just, it's just gross. I saw something interesting. This was a, a focus group and some, I don't, one of the networks held it. And the, the, the host of the focus group was dealing with a bunch of Trumplifucks. And they were trying to sell the, the idea that, uh, um, that Antifa was the group that, uh, attack the Capitol. We've heard it before, and we know still people believe that to a certain extent. But the host did the perfect thing. They're going back and forth talking about how Tifa did it and why, and this is whatever. And then the host said to him, well, if it was Antifa, how come Donald Trump didn't do anything about it? How come he didn't send anybody out to stop it? How come he didn't send the National Guard in? And the guy just looked like a deer in the headlights. He just, his mouth dropped open and he just shrugged. See, some of this stuff is going to hit home with him. There's a lot of things they can't explain. And if you can't explain something you believe, maybe you better take another look at what the fuck you believe. Yeah. Donald Trump was not trying to stop Antifa. He was dancing poorly with Kimberly Guilfoyle. The best is yet to come. I mean, these, they're just thick fucks. They are sick fucks. And, and, you know, there's this new information that came out um, from the January 6th committee that while Meadows was talking to Donald Trump, while this was all going on, Donald Trump uh, expressed some dismay um, that Mike Pence might be whisked away to safety. He was upset about that. And then at some point, Donald Trump was reported as saying, well, maybe they should hang 
Mike Pence. Now, that's a very telling thing because that tells you, you know, when we hear about these possible court cases and such, well, you got to look at the intent. Did he really know it or was he just, did, didn't he understand that? Those quotes perfectly illustrate that he knew what the fuck was going on and we know what his intent was. So once again, Donald Trump fucks himself over. He's just the, he just gaslights. Yeah. Just just disgusting. It's It's absolutely, it's absolutely ridiculous. Well, Jenna, we're going to take a quick break here. We'll be right back. And uh, we've got plenty more to talk about. So stick with us. On every show, I tell you that if you have questions, comments, or complaints, just reach out to me at rationalboomer at gmail.com. Those emails come directly to me, and your input is crucial to this show. The show is called Rational Boomer Podcast, but that's not to suggest that I'm the Rational Boomer. I am not. I am simply a Rational Boomer. All of you are Rational Boomers. Anybody of a like mind is a Rational Boomer. Strength comes in numbers and not through an individual. You have perceptions and insights that may have never occurred to me. This isn't a show about me. This is a show about us and gaining a voice in this country. There's 70 million baby boomers in this country. Yeah, I know the younger folks would prefer to push us aside. Every generation has done that. But we are a formidable force if we can get together and speak in one voice. This is why I encourage you to let your friends and family know about the Rational Boomer podcast, not to satisfy my ego, but to give us more power, a stronger voice to help right this ship we call the United States of America. Lastly, I'm offering the opportunity for my listeners to be on the show. Now, it could be two minutes, it could be a half hour, it could be the whole fucking show. I'd much rather have you on the show than somebody pimping a podcast or a book. I want to hear what you think. I want to know what you know. The Rational Boomer Podcast is all about us. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. We have a guest, listener Jenna, talking about a lot of things, and we should probably talk about the shooting in Texas. That is the big story. I've talked about it a lot on the podcast and TikToks and such, but it is such a such an important story and it's such a sad story. I'm curious how you see it from your side, where you're at. I don't understand how we haven't had a national day of mourning over this. Absolutely. Uh, the 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 grief, I don't know these children, but it's like, Okay, you fought so hard for kids to go back to school during COVID. Um, let's let's be honest. You most people who are fighting so hard, you know, need kids to go back to school so that they can have a place to be while you're working because that's just how our capitalism has basically set us up to be. Right. And you you, you send your kids to school so that you can educate them and they can be in a safe place and to to not have your child come home is unfathomable. And I don't know if you saw, but this morning, one of the children, I just am, this, this gutted me. I'm still devastated, but I cannot get this image out of my mind. This right. child used the blood of her oh, yeah. plain classmate to disguise herself from the shooter. Like, well, I can't even imagine this. Like, it's horrifying. I can't imagine a 10-year-old girl in the middle of an active shooter, has a friend dying next to her who's bloody, who has enough wherewithal, enough savvy to say, well, maybe if I fake being dead, 
you'll leave me alone. And he had, she reaches over, takes some blood from her friend who's dying and wipes it on her. That tells you a lot about humans, uh, human uh, sense of survival. Mm. That That is a huge fucking thing for a little girl, 10 years old, to even come up with that idea. Usually you would think they'd stand up, run and scream and end up getting shot. But she was so savvy about that. And it's so sad that a 10-year-old girl had to do that, had to be put in a position to think about that. And now there's more evidence coming out that these kids are now speaking out about what actually happened. And they were saying, you know, that they heard police outside of their classroom and thought that they were going to come save them. And nobody did. Right. This was a failure on so many different levels. And for Ted Cruz to shot at Beto and say, this is not a political issue. You're making this a political issue is asinine. It's asinine. And what else is he going to say? He's really got nothing to argue about. Uh, I heard another creator on TikTok, and I've talked about this on TikTok, and I've talked about this on the podcast. Um, and uh, I like the creator. He's, he's, he's good, and he has a lot of uh, followers. Uh, but he said, when Beto O'Rourke did that, that was a bad look for Beto O'Rourke and the Democrats. And I couldn't fucking disagree more. Right. I mean, we don't see fire, passion, and fight out of Democrats. And this is the fucking exact time to do it. This is when they have the opportunity when it's going to do some good. Somebody like Beto O'Rourke has to go up and shout these people down because some horrific thing happened and they're tossing around this no information bullshit, and they need to be called out about it. Otherwise, they continue to do it. And Democrats as a whole should take take note and take a lesson from Beto O'Rourke. This is what they need to be doing between now and November. They absolutely need to be doing this. And they, what, what, I, I just don't understand like this like whole, you know, Biden's platform is bipartisan. No, now is not the time to be bipartisan. Now is the time to rescue democracy. Absolutely. And, and, and you know what? If someone stood in front of me, a politician, and, and they brought up the word bipartisan, I'd slap them in the mouth because bipartisanism doesn't work. It doesn't exist anymore. And to keep leaning on that, whether you're Joe Biden or one of the Democrats, if you keep telling me bipartisan, it tells me you're stupid because you haven't fucking learned a lesson. So when are we going to see them like actually stand up and do something? They're they're there. They're Democrats are called like the do nothing Democrats. Like yeah. now is not the time for civility. I am. We all need to be doing what better is doing. Well, you, and it's, you, it was yeah. a peaceful protest. Yeah. He wasn't, was... he wasn't hurting anybody. And they were like, you're a sick son of a bitch. No, you're a sick son of a bitch protecting these. Yeah. People well, behind you that are funneling money to the NRA. They are keeping this thing alive. There's no laws. Like what are we doing? Well, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, they have the audacity to be, um, hurt by Beto O'Rourke coming up and doing what he's doing. But this is exactly what the Republicans have been doing for decades. You know, ranting, raving, playing the bully. Didn't Marjorie uh, Taylor Greene go to the office of Marcus Flowers? How is that any different than what Beto O'Rourke did? 
Republicans do this. They are bullies. And as I've said before, sometimes with a bully, all you can do is give them what they offer up because that's all they understand. If a bully's smacking you around some point, you have to smack them back in order to stop them. And because they're cowards, they will stop instantaneously. So my, I just want to touch on the NRA and guns in general, briefly. My uncle, uh, may he rest in peace, was a Vietnam War vet, and he worked in a gun range for as long as I could remember. Right. And so my certain members of my family have guns and this, that, and the other. And while I don't feel like I need a gun, um, I know certain people, they if you're trained and you have one and you're using it for this, that, and the other. Okay. But why are we having AR-15s and and we, we have no regulation of these things. And the question that I just can't wrap my head around is how many more of these are we supposed to witness? Because if you are, or, or, or perhaps experience, it's like, um, you know, there was one mass shooting in New Zealand and then now there's laws enacted. Yeah, there, I, I, like, I, what are I, we doing here? I, I read an email last yesterday on the podcast, and and it, it, he laid out all the new laws in in uh, New Zealand, and they're pretty stringent. And it's all over one mass shooting. That was the reaction. Uh, you'd never get that kind of stringent rules in this country. But like I said in the podcast, you know, everything in government kind of moves gradually, but you've got to get it moving in the right direction. And once you've got it moving in the right direction, ultimately you will probably get what you want. I also made a comparison. uh, See what you think about this. What's ironic about being in Texas, if you're a 14 year old girl who gets raped, Texas government will try to stop you from getting a, uh, an abortion. And if you get an abortion, they want to make you a criminal and severely punish you. But if that same 14-year-old girl in Texas who's pregnant goes to school one day just to try to better herself in spite of the fact that she's pregnant and some crazy fucking 18-year-old kid who has a AR-15 and can carry it anywhere with him he wants, go into the school, shoot her, ultimately kill the fetus. And they do nothing about it. That seems ironic. That doesn't, that tells me they don't care about the unborn or the kids in general. They care about power, money, and control. That's all they care about. And once people can understand that, you can understand that their efforts don't have anything to do with the fucking Bible or what's right or what's important or the children. It's about them and it's about control, money, and power. When I was on my job, search then (laughs) there were two states that i would just refuse if i got an offer to move to and that would be florida and texas and i texas is just a shining example of what is wrong with everything i mean they don't care about their citizens whatsoever you have you're off the energy grid right so you could if you're okay uh Let's protect the fetus, but once you're born, we're not going to help you survive in any way, shape, or form if you freeze to death. Well, oh, well, too bad, so sad. Um, you know, it's just like, if you have money in Texas, then you can do whatever. But if you are even middle class and lower, like, Texas is just like, fuck them. And it's just this, like, model of disgusting laws trying to, 
you know, like you said, hold power over everybody. It's just gross. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, like that they were successful in having this abortion law go through as a model for the rest of the country is just gross. And I'm like, okay, Beto, you have to win. <laughs> like, come on, Texans. It just, is it gerrymandered so hard that people can't vote? I don't understand how these people even got power. Yeah, it's. I, I don't see how Greg Abbott can win. He's done so many things that have gone so wrong for the citizens of that state, even for the hardcore Republicans. They can't be happy about it. I mean, that whole grid thing, when it goes down and people are struggling, some people even dying from this, and then on top of it, to add insult to injury, now they get these fucking huge bills because the grid failed. I just don't see how Greg Abbott can win the race. I mean, Beto O'Rourke isn't the guy for a lot of Texas people, but they've got to be tired of dealing with the bullshit, you know, the border stuff and that costing the, the state billions of dollars because of just some fucking uh, some uh, um, stunt that he decided to do. He fails at every fucking turn. And if you're a Republican and can still vote for Greg Abbott, you've got something wrong with you. You're not paying attention or you're just fucking evil. Interesting that you mentioned the border. Uh, you don't hear about the border much anymore. No, no, you don't. You know, that, that's the funny thing about the border is that people all keep telling, telling me that, uh, well, Biden's just letting everybody run through. The borders are wide open. Then, then I found a stat that I found interesting. Um, in 2020, um, we had a similar amount of people, like a million and a half people coming to the border. And there's a certain percentage that are allowed into the country to seek asylum you know, go to, go to court and seek asylum. So they're allowed in the country waiting for this court case. Um, and, and Joe Biden had pretty much the same thing. He maybe even had a few more people come to the border than Donald Trump in 2021. Now, when Joe Biden, his administration allowed a percentage of people to come into the country to seek asylum, um, he allowed in, I think, 36% of those people that came to the border were allowed in the country to await trial for asylum, seeking asylum. That's a lot of people. But in 2020, when Donald Trump was doing the same thing, they allowed in 56% of those people into the country to seek asylum. So the idea that Joe Biden's letting more people in or the borders are open is fucking absolutely ridiculous, and the facts bear it out. But people don't want to hear that. They don't care about facts. They just care about rhetoric. And isn't it ironic that a border cop was the one who shot the active shooter in the school shooting? Uh, it is. It is. Why did they have to wait till a border cop came? I mean, we're hearing all these stories now and we're seeing the videos that are appalling that we know there's an active shooter in the school. And we know that there are cops there and the parents are saying, why aren't you going in? Why aren't you going in? And now these cops are now dealing with these parents who are upset. Um, and it makes sense why they're upset. They don't know if their kids are alive or dead or if they're in immediate danger. They know there's a shooter in the fucking school. Um, 
and the cops are out there trying to hold them back. And then I hear this story. I don't know if it's true, but it wouldn't surprise me. How these cops that were holding back the parents, because some parents said, give me a vest. I'm going to go in there and get my kid, which I think any of us would do if they thought the cops weren't doing the job. But then we're hearing a story how these cops would go in and get their own kids out of there and then come back and try to stop the other parents from doing it. That's fucking appalling if that's what was going on. Uh, I did not hear that. That is horrifying. It is horrifying. <sighs> and, and, the, and then the police have this shit show of a press conference, say nothing, and then change up their story. Why would the police change the story from what it was to something different now if there wasn't some kind of cover up or some sense that they knew they fucked up and they're just trying to cover their ass? Why were they handcuffing parents? who were reacting, which I think anybody would, to an active shooter in their own child's school. I gotta Something is very fishy there. I got to tell you, if I'd been in Texas and my granddaughter had been in that school, I probably would have been shot because you wouldn't go, you wouldn't stop me from going in that school. I'm willing at 62 to risk my life for, for my grandkid. That's the least I can do. And just to stand outside and have the authorities say, yeah, you can't do anything. We're just going to wait this out. <laughs> you know, part of the thing that I heard about this was it's about who showed up first and the resources they had. I mean, the I guess the police went in originally and the shooter was barricaded in a room with the door locked. Now, these doors were specially made so a shooter couldn't get in. They didn't think about what if a shooter's in there. Now you can't get in. The police didn't have the, 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 the tools to break down the door. And this is why they were waiting for somebody to come in to break down the door because they didn't have the resources. The interesting thing that somebody suggested was that all they had to do was go down to the principal's office because there's master keys for the whole fucking school there. They go down there and they can open the door and walk in. But they didn't think about that. How you don't think about that, I'm not sure. Well, I guess they were too busy arresting parents and calling in Border Patrol. Yeah. I mean, this is an immense fuck up by the or the Texas government and uh, by the law enforcement there. This isn't going to go well for them because this shit's going to expose. You don't just get to kill people's children without there being outrage. You're not going to be able to cover this up. You're not going to be able to distract or divert from it. This is going to go badly for the law enforcement in Texas and uh, the government generally. Um, what do you think about this weekend since it's Memorial Day weekend and Congress is off enjoying themselves? Yeah. Do you think that uh, we're going to hear back on Tuesday that, you know, I, I'm just always curious that when Congress gets so much time off in the summer and everything, it's just like, I, I need that job. I want to have all this time off. It feels like they're never in session. No, it does seem like they're never in session. And, and it's interesting you should bring this up. I talked about this earlier, too. I heard somebody talking about this. The whole idea, it's funny that that now the Republicans are saying, well, I think we can get a deal done. I think we can work something out. And, and that hopefully is a response that's going to quell some of the hate for the Republican Party based on how they handle this stuff. But uh, I can't remember who it was, but it was somebody who had been in politics is now on television. And they said, I said, 
Don't get excited about this. This is a fucking ploy. This is Mitch McConnell saying, okay, uh, yeah, we're going to do something about this. We're going to take care of this. But right at this moment in time, they're on vacation for 10 days because of the Memorial Day holiday. And then on top of that, we've got the summer recess coming up, what, in July? So all they're going to do is try to run the clock on this issue. Wait till the interest and the attention wanes or something else happening, and then they will still do nothing. I'm not convinced or confident that they're going to do anything about gun control. I honestly believe nothing is going to get done with regards to anything unless the Democrats win big in the midterms and then spend the two years doing whatever they want. That's why that's the pivotal point. You want changes, you make sure those midterms that the Republicans get wiped out because that's the only way it's going to get fixed. These Republicans are not even going to feel the sadness or the pressure from this event any more than they did with Sandy Hook or whatever. Don't think the Republicans are going to actually help out. They only want you to believe they are, but they are not going to do anything. I agree 100%. Um, unfortunately, I have to go here in a second. Oh, no problem. No problem. I'm glad you had the time to uh, spend with us. Uh, having talked to you before, it was nice to have you on the show and get some of your thoughts out there. Now, being on the show doesn't preclude you from being on the show again, so we can always do it again, and that's that's not a problem. But, but I, I do appreciate you taking the time and talking. I know this is sometimes a pressure situation for folks. But the good thing is this is recorded. Anything bad happens, I can always edit that shit out. Great. Well, thank <laughs> you so much for having me and thank you for working with my crazy schedule. Oh, no problem. No problem. I'm retired. I, I, I've got a lot of flexibility. Uh, uh, unless my wife is around and she uh, makes my schedule generally. And if she makes my schedule, well, then that shit's in stone. I'm doing it. Good for you. See, you're you're a wise man. Well, I've been married 39 years, almost 39 years. Uh, uh, I either learn some shit or I die in my sleep. So, <laughs> so, so I've learned how to be flexible. Jenna, thank you very much for being on the program. Uh, you're welcome back anytime. Uh, and I appreciate you listening and commenting and all those sorts of things. But, uh, you know, have a great day. Uh, feel comfortable that you're on the right path and everything will be okay. Don't worry about shit. Thanks, Mike. You're the best. All right. Thank you, Jenna. I hope all you folks that are listening uh, have a great day and we will uh, be back again tomorrow or quicker than that. Who knows? Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time. Next time.